welcome. Welcome to week two of our sort of new series, right? We're only just kind of last week was a sort of an introduction to the series. Uh, note to self, note to self, a journey to God's best. And um, by the way, let me just remind you real quick before I forget, in two weeks, we're going to, our elders are going to have a meet and greet on Monday, April 26th, so not tomorrow, but Two weeks from today, and we would love to, uh, if you want to know who our board of elders are, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the changes that we've made to our bylaws, and so I want to invite you, if you're an owner, and if you're thinking about being an owner, that's what we call our members, if you're just stepping in, if you don't own it, what does that mean? Uh, so if you're an owner at LifePoint, we'd love for you to come. If you're kind of, if you have questions about the church, it's a great place to come and Hang out with our elders. So April 26th at 6 p.m. So note to self, a journey to God's best. Last week we talked about perfectionism. This whole idea of legalism. Uh, those two words are closely related. And we said, we learned that um, perfection is not a standard, but an obstacle. And if you missed a message, and maybe you're somebody that deals with that, you struggle with being a perfectionist, uh, or a little bit with legalism, I want to I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. I really think that it'll help you to see uh, what God's Word has to say about that. Maybe you know someone who is, you know, a little bit, you know, they lean towards being a little bit legalistic, or they lean towards being a little bit of a perfectionist, then I, I want to encourage you to share the message with them. It mean the world to me. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about friendly fire, this whole idea of betrayal. Friendly fire, uh, the whole idea about betrayal. And uh, by the way, my name is Alex. If you're just stepping in for the first time or if you're just tuning in, I want to welcome all of you. And uh, I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint Fellowship Church. We're thrilled to have you guys here in person, online on our Facebook page, our YouTube channel. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And I'm really looking forward to getting into these verses with you. John chapter 13 verses 1 through 5. I think most of the verses will be on the screen, but if you want to follow along, that's a, it's a good thing to do if you ever want to go back and review the verses and whatnot. So betrayal. When we talk about betrayal, when we think of betrayal, there's a lot of things that can come to mind, right? Like you may think, somebody may think, well, you may think of a spy or a double agent that's betraying their country. You may think of a uh, I don't know, a, a reality TV show uh, like Survivor. My family and the kids and Leah and I, we, we used to watch Survivor and we love that show. Or maybe The Mole. Uh, you may think of, you know, the word betrayal comes to mind. You may think of, man, somebody uh, cheated on you. And that, that's, that brings really hurtful, very painful uh, feelings and emotions. Maybe somebody that stabbed you in the back. Maybe someone that said something that really about your character that really wasn't true. Uh, or maybe they twist it, uh, whatever they said, you know, it's just something that, eh, not quite there. Now, what I know about betrayal is that we've all experienced it on some level. On so, I mean, if you've lived for any period of time, you have experienced betrayal on some level. And we understand, for the most part, we understand the feelings that come with it, right? It, it may have been a parent, or, or it may have been a, a brother or sister, you know, they did something, you know, that they should have done for you, but instead they kind of, you know, kind of went in their own way, and it hurt. 
And, it, and you, you know the feelings that come, the baggage that comes with it. The emotional toll, the, the, the drain, how it just drains you. And you have uh, been hurt. Uh, maybe you've gone through depression because of it. Uh, people that uh, face betrayal in a big way. Sometimes, man, it can, it can throw you into a funk for, you know, four or five, six months. Uh, maybe it can create um, that, that anger and feeling of bitterness. And you don't, like, you don't know what to do with yourself. And you begin to ask questions. Why they do that to me? You know, like, why in the world? What were they thinking when they did that? And immediately, you know, you, you ask questions. And if you're not careful, you can deal with it the wrong way. And you begin to ask the wrong questions. And you begin to say, what, where did I go wrong? What was, you know, what's wrong with me? And there may be nothing wrong with you. Okay, but you're dealing with it in such a hurtful place and you, you're in a, such a low place that you're thinking, man, there's something that's got to be majorly screwed up with myself. And maybe there is. I'm not telling you that there's not. But I'm just saying sometimes it's them. Sometimes it's not your, you know, behavior. Sometimes it's not what you've done. Sometimes it's what, it's that they're just sinful individuals and they've gone the wrong way. They have not been obedient to God's word and whatnot. And sadly, what we're going to see in Scripture today, and you see it in life, is that we're often betrayed by the people that are closest to us. And that's what makes it, that's what makes betrayal such a difficult thing. And, and maybe betrayal is too strong of a word. Uh, that's the word I pick. But what I know is that it often happens with those who we trust the most. It's the people that are within closest proximity to us. They have the potential to really hurt us in deep ways. And so we're going to be in John chapter 13, verse 1. I want you to listen to God's, what, what God's word says. Verse 1, it says, before the Passover celebration. You know what? I want to, I want to do this. I want to pray real quick for, for this message because I really believe that this is a sensitive topic. And um, I just I, I want to ask God to... To uh, open our minds and hearts for what he's, he's going to teach us. God, I just, we just hit the pause button for just a moment. And Lord, I just ask that you would come for hearts right now. Um, even using the word betrayal is difficult for some people. Um, maybe here in the room or watching online. But God, I pray that you would begin to heal our hearts. Use the hurt, use the pain, Lord, to make us better individuals. We pray in Jesus Christ. Amen. So before Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return uh, and return to his father. Now watch this. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he, there's a word again, he loved them to the very what? End. He loved his disciples while he was here on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. This is the the word agape in in the in the Greek this is perfect love this is sacrificial love this is preferential kind of love like his disciples where like he gave them uh, he put them first he gave them priority they had special access to Jesus they followed him everywhere he went one of the things that I try to do I've done this over the last uh, 15 18 years 17 years is I've told my kids, and, and if you're not a pastor, you may not quite understand this, so don't judge me, but um, I've told my kids, listen, I can have a line of people out the door waiting on me, but if you ever need me, I've told all three of my kids this, 
if you ever need me, if you really need me, I want you to jump to the front of the line because you're, you're one of mine. Now, I've said that before and it's gotten me in trouble, you know, with people. Oh, you should teach your kids to be humble and all that and all that. You know, but what I've learned in ministry is that the pastor is always taking care of everybody else except for his family. And so I chose from early on, I told my kids, I said, listen, if you ever need me, I don't care if I have a line of 15 people out the door. You come, you jump to the front of the line, come talk to me because you're my child. And I love you. And it's, it is not perfect love. It's not agape love, like the love that God has for us. But Jesus, that's the sentiment behind this verse. He loved them while he was here on planet earth. And he loved them till the very end. And when you love someone, when you're close to someone, the, the betrayal can be exponentially harder to deal with because of how much you love them and so you just don't understand why they did what they did because you've always shown them love does that make sense you tracking yeah give me a thumbs up all right thank you that helps me so he loved them till the very end verse two it was time for supper and the devil had already prompted judas son of simon's scariot and there's our word to betray jesus that's our theme for the day. It's interesting. The devil had already prompted Judas. You know, the Holy Spirit, if you're a Jesus follower, the Spirit of God prompts you to do things. What I've never really realized until this week is that the, the enemy can actually prompt you as well. If you're not in God's Word, if you're not following Christ, if you're not a Jesus follower, the, the enemy will prompt you to do things that you should not do. In fact, I, 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 was, I was studying this verse. I remember talking to people who have been in prison, who are in prison. I've talked to them, and I remember a sentence that they said to me. It's never really clicked. It's never really made sense until I read this verse. Like, they, I would look at them, and some of them, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to judge whether they're saved or not, but from the, an hour perspective, like, it seemed like, man, they were solid Christians. And I really, it's hard for me to understand how, man, how come you're in jail right now? Like, how come you're in prison? I mean, like, like this is, like, it, it just wouldn't make, wouldn't compete, com, uh, compute. And I remember what they would say. They would say something like this, Pastor Alex. They'd just say Alex. I wouldn't say Pastor, but they'd say, Alex, you know what? I don't know what happened. I don't know where I went wrong. But it was like something. It's like I wasn't, it wasn't me. Like something took over. Like I felt like the enemy just took control. Like I don't know exactly, but, and they, and they don't even know how to explain it. And I've wondered if it could be that. The, the devil, <clears throat> it prompted Judas. In other words, Judas had already made a decision. To betray Jesus. And he had a plan. Basically sold him for 30 silvers of, silver, 30 silver coins. It's the price you would pay for a slave. Okay? So it is essentially you, what Judas was doing is he was taking the son of God. He was taking the savior of the world. Holy and perfect. After, I mean, you gotta think of it. Judas had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He had seen the miracles. He had seen the like like the how he healed people, how he multiplied the bread. He had seen all the good that Jesus had done for for humanity and he diminished Jesus Christ from being the son of God, from being like this like perfect individual to the price you would pray for the lowest in that day and age the lowest labor which was that was that of a slave. He sold him for 30 
silver coins. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. In other words, Jesus could have done anything. He could have dealt with this in any way he wanted. And that he had come from God and that he would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Now, here's a question. I'm reading this, and I don't know what's going through your brain. I don't know what you're thinking, but this is what I thought. How do you do that? How do you, how could Jesus wash his, the feet of the man who was literally going to betray him in just the next few minutes? Like Jesus was, he was hours away from death, right? And it, it all pointed to this one individual who would turn on him, who would basically tell them where he was. How do you have a meal? Okay, like put yourself in that place, right? How do you have a meal with someone who you know without a shadow of a doubt they're going to turn on you in the next few minutes? Now, I know what the temptation is because I'm reading the passage and I know what you're thinking, all right? It's not very hard. He's Jesus, right? Like anybody can, like if anybody can do it the right way, it's Jesus. He's the son of God. He's perfect. I mean, come on, you know, like, and so that's kind of what we think. But here's what I want you to know this morning. As you're filtering the message through what you're going through in life or what you've gone through in life, I, I want you to know Jesus is not the only example. It's, he's the one that I just picked. Okay. But we could go, we could go to Joseph. In the Old Testament, not Mary and Joseph, New Testament, Old Testament. Remember Joseph? Joseph was his dad's favorite. So Joseph, his, his dad, Jacob, loved Joseph. And his brothers were jealous of him. Do you remember the story? And so these brothers were, they, they didn't like him. And, and I don't know, I think it had something to do with because he was the favorite. One day, his brothers see him from far away. And this is what they said. It's like, here comes a dreamer. Because Joseph had big dreams. He believed that God was going to use them in big ways. And so his brothers get together and he's like, here comes the, the dreamer. And then, and, and, and they, they say, you know what? Let's, let's kill him. His very brothers, let's kill him. And then in a, in a moment of, of love and a moment of, of grace, their hearts were, were full of mercy. They said, nah, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's, let's sell him. Let's sell him. Why kill him when we can make money off of him? Right? Off of him. And they throw him into a cistern, which is a dried up well. And essentially, they, you know, you all of a sudden, the picture that you have in scripture is of a 16, 17 year old boy shackled ankle to ankle, ready on his way with other slaves, ready to be sold into slavery. On his way to a foreign country, a foreign nation, away from mom and dad. Away from everything that was that he knew that was good, how do you recover from that? How do you heal when your family turns on you that way? Because I, I don't know about you, but I want to know. I want to know how you deal in a, with integrity in that way. The Bible says years later, Joseph confronts his brothers. And these are his words. Look on the screen. You know this. Many of you, you've, you've studied the, the scripture. Let's put it up. Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. How do you say those words? 
That's what I, I want to know. How do, you, how do you practice that? How do you heal when, after you've been betrayed? You have David, right? So it's not just Jesus. Uh, you have David. David was betrayed by his son Absalom. I don't know if you remember the story or not, but like, so Absalom wanted to be king, so he wanted the throne. He g- gathers a few men, and he literally goes against his own dad, and he brings war into his dad because he wanted the throne. It was greed. It was power. His own blood and flesh. Like, David knew that he was coming after him. And David, even though that Absalom was ready to take his life, David, the Bible says that he ordered his men to be gentle with Absalom. How do you do that? Later on, we see that he dies. Absalom dies. And David, instead of saying, man, well, he had it coming. No, he, he says, if you, if you know scripture, the Bible says that he wept bitterly. And so you see my point in sharing those two stories is that it's not just Jesus. It's, it's tempting to say, well, he's Jesus. He's the son of God, right? He knows how to do it. He's perfect in nature. Yeah, like he, if anyone's going to be able to overcome betrayal, you know, Jesus is the one. No, he's, he's a role model. But there's plenty of examples in the New Testament and in the Old Testament that I can give you of people who dealt with betrayal in, a, in an ugly way. People who are closest to them. Brothers, sisters, sons. And they were able to, to make it through that. So how do you, what do you do when you've been hurt by friendly fire? Friendly fire. Have you heard that phrase before, friendly fire? What do you do when you're betrayed, you're betrayed by somebody that, that's close to you? Let's put the picture up on the screen. Do you know who this is? His name is Stonewall Jackson. Any, any history buffs in the, in the house or in the chat? Okay, some of you guys know. Good, good for you. Um, I'm not a history buff, but I know, uh, you know, doing some research, I found out this portrait was actually taken seven days before his death. Many people believe that Stonewall Jackson was like a, one of the greatest generals south in the South during the Civil War. And he was a victim of one of the worst tragedies that you can have in war. You know what that is? Worst tragedy that you can have in war it's what I like to call friendly, what we call friendly fire. When you are shot by one of your own. Like it's one thing like if, to have your fellow soldier, like your, your brother, you know, that you're going to war with. It's one thing when they're shot by enemy fire, right? Like that's one thing. But the heartbreak, like, like the, the feelings that, that come to mind when, when you are... Um, when, when, when your fellow soldier is shot by one of their own, it is exponentially compounded. And I mean, only if you've been in that situation can you understand. Well, here's the thing. It happens in God's army, too. You see it all the time. You see friends, spouses, Sunday school teachers. You see leaders that, that you listen to. Man, I cannot tell you the number of times that I follow, like, leaders that I've listened to their preaching, that I've, like, I've been, like, almost enamored by, by their leadership and their, their teaching, and they're so eloquent, and they do something that's just, you know, whether it's adultery or they were stealing money from the church or whatever, and all of a sudden, you your heart just sinks. And I don't try to... I think I have a, a healthy level of kind of understanding like they're human beings, okay? Like I get that. So I try not to put people, other preachers and whatnot, leaders in, in positions of like in pedestals, you know, like, like, like they're heroes or whatever. But, but you can't, and I have someone in mind, I'm not going to say names, but like I have someone that I just found out that I looked up for, for years 
And I listen to their messages. And then I see that at the end of their life, this is what happened. And I go, cannot, and I feel a little bit betrayed, right? And so it happens in God's army when you are shot by one of your own. And it could be a family member that turned on you, that cheated on you. It could be a co-worker. It could be somebody that claimed that they were, like they said, they were Christians. I mean, like, you should have heard them. You should have seen him. You would have thought they're the most, like, if there is a Christian, that was him. That was her. That was him. And the discouragement that it causes is crazy. The cynicism, if you're not careful, that it creates in your heart. The desire to want to distance yourself. One of the hardest things that I do as a pastor is to believe in people. Because I've seen people over many years, I've seen how people hurt one another. And so, so to keep your heart pure and to keep your heart, heart, heart soft, I mean, is one of the hardest things that I do. Because automatically what you want to do is you want to distance yourself from people because you want to guard your heart and your emotions and your feelings. And so I think it's, but it is so real, it is so true. And so, If you have been spiritually wounded by friendly fire, I want you to know that you can be treated and you can recover and you can heal. And just like, just like when you're physically wounded, you, what do you do? You find medical help, right? So you can recover in the same way. If you feel like you've been spiritually wounded, you can recover. And what I encourage you to do is I encourage you because, and I, I want to say this because some of you, you've been, you've been hurt by, I mean, like you've been carrying this baggage and this, the hurt for years. And I'm not, I'm not telling you this because, you know, like I'm pointing fingers, but just like I'm in this with you. I understand. I can sympathize with you. And I want you to know that nothing, nothing is going to help you more. Nothing's going to heal you better. Nothing will restore you more. Nothing will nourish your soul like the power of God's word. And here's the truth. A lot of times we run to everything else but God's word. We, I mean, we go, we run to the counselor because they're the professional, right? Like we go to the expert. They're supposed, we go to the pastor. Man, you can come to me anytime, but I want you to know there's nothing special about me. You know, we run to the clergy because, oh, they're close to God. Maybe, maybe not, right? And so nothing, nothing is like God's word. And so I challenge you to run to God's word. And don't run to the latest trend, the latest piece of information, the last thing, the latest thing that you see. Here's what we don't recognize sometimes. We equate God's word with our word. And we think that it's sort of the same thing. And we, like, what, you know, I was telling a friend earlier today, like, what do you do when someone that doesn't believe in the Bible? You know, what do you, how do you communicate God? Like, how do you tell them about the Lord? How do you give them the gospel? It's very simple. You give them about God's word. Because whatever you say is not as powerful as God's word. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I mean by that? Like, we equate the power of our words, which our words are powerful, don't get me wrong. But there's nothing remotely close to the power of God's word. And there's a verse, I'll put it on the screen, uh, four, uh, Hebrews 4 and 12, that says, For the word of God is living in, what's that next word there at the end? Active. Active. In the Greek is the word energies. Energies. What does that sound like? What, does, what other English word does that sound like? Energies. Help me out. Energy. God's word is not only alive, but it's got energy. It's got power. And so the best thing that you can do, and I, and I want, I don't, sometimes I can get a little too preachy. Hey, listen, I applaud you for being here. I applaud you for tuning in online. Man, I want to be like, like 
go you. You know, because you're running to God's word. That's what you're doing the right thing. And so I'm kind of preaching to the choir into that, and I, I get that. But the power of, of God's word in your life is what's going to heal that pain. So here's what I want to do. I want to share with you two points. The first point is something I want you to know. Okay, it's, it is a nugget of truth. It is, it is wisdom. It is insight from God's word. The, the first point that I'm going to give you, it's like pure wisdom. Like you've got to know this. If you don't know this, like, man, this is something that you've got to know. You've got to lock it in. You've got to understand it. You've got to let it marinate in your heart. The second point that I want to give you is, give you is the one that I want you to take home. All right, it's it's the one that I've tried to make it as memorable as I can make it. So this week, when you've forgotten 80 percent of what I've said, you can take this this second point and you can use it. And I, my prayer is that it'll help you. So number one, here's the first point. This is the one that I want you to know is God's. This is pure insight from God's word. Um, God is more interested in your character than your comfort. Let me say that again. God, and I know it's a little bit harsh. Especially if we, you know, if you've dealt with something that's difficult. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. Romans 5, 3. We can rejoice when we run into problems. How could that be? Like, that doesn't make sense. Well, listen to the verse. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop Endurance. It's what I call redemptive suffering. Redemptive suffering. Would you say those two words with me? Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Redemptive suffering. Say it one more time. I want you to remember. Redemptive suffering. It's when you suffer for the benefits of others. Well, that doesn't, I don't want to hear that, Pastor Alex. I didn't come here and do, that's kind of depressing right there. Well, you see it all over the Bible. Jesus, for one, right? He suffered for you. He didn't die for my, for his sins. He died for my sins and your sins, right? Redemptive suffering. It's in redemptive suffering is when God takes the bitterness, when he takes the sadness, when he takes the betrayal, the bad, when he takes all the junk and he makes, he takes that ugly side of, of, of what we go through in life and take, he takes that and makes the world a better place. Something that you've gone through. And so here's what God will say. God will look at you and he'll say this. It's not all going to be good in your life. You know that? God will look at you. I mean, the example is Jesus. It's David, Joseph. God will look at you and he'll say, it's not all going to be good. But I can use all of it and turn it into good. I can use all of it and make it fit into my plan. Does that make sense? So I can use the the hurts of the past. I can use the sins of your parents. I can use the sins of your spouses. I can use all of that junk. And and you may you may have been you may be the innocent party in all of this. And God says, "It's not all going to be good, but I can take all of it and I can turn it into good." That's why God is a good good God. Good good father. You've heard the song, right? Because he can take he can take the bad and turn it into good, like not anybody can take good and you know turn it into good, right? Anybody can get good out of good. That's that doesn't that's easy, right? Only God can take something that's only God can bring good 
out of the bad. So look at the verse one more time. Look at it with me. Romans 5, 3. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Watch this. For we know, for we know that they help us develop endurance. So you can be happy. You can have joy in your life in the middle of pressure, in the middle of the trials and the difficulties. Like in the middle, like how do you, how do, you do that? What's the key? Well, look at the verse. Look at the verse. Those three little words. For we know. The difference is what you know. I said two weeks ago, I said you can put two separate people in the same room, in the same set of circumstances, two separate people in the same battle, the same war, and then you have two people that have gone through the same type of divorce, the same type of betrayal, and one will deal with it in a healthy way and the other one will deal with it totally unhealthy way one person will make it and will think the best of life and will think the best is yet to come and the other one is devastated and what what makes the difference is what here it is God's word is telling us it's what we know and so I want you to know this one point number one you got to know this okay God is much more interested listen to me in your character than your comfort. I know that, and I probably need to kind of like, like I know, I don't mean to be so bold and in your face, but you've got to lock this one in. Okay? Because at the end of the day, when you end up in heaven one day, if you're a Jesus follower, like the only thing that you're bringing with you is, is you. Okay? Like nothing else, nothing that you see here is, is going to last. And so God is much more interested in your character than anything else that you have in this life. And He will build your character. He will build who you are. Who Basically what He says, look, I want you, while you're on, here on this planet, I want you to become more and more like me. I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to be able to wash the feet of the person that just betrayed you or about to betray you. I want you to be able to have a meal with that person that gets on your nerves and they've said something that have hurt you deeply. That, to me, is better than your comfort for the short lifespan that you have on planet Earth. So do you got it? Do you get it? Like, does that make sense? Do you have it locked in? God is more interested in your character than your comfort and he will refine your character often through the fires that we go through he will refine the person who you are through the difficulties and the trials so that's point number one point number two and i'll close two points aren't you happy we're only doing two points today you guys should clap for that or something there we go thank you i think i'm gonna add a third one because i wasn't strong enough i just that was a week that was a golf clap we don't do golf claps here I only have two points for you guys. Oh, they, they just love God's word so much. They want more. That's what it is, Amy. <laughs> here's the second point. I'll close with this. And here's the one that I want you to remember, okay? Here's your note to self. That's the name of the series, right? Note to self. Um, this is your sticky note. This is your, your alarm reminder, okay? It's on, uh, it's on the screen. The one thing... When you look at Jesus, when you look at David, when you look at Joseph, when you look at anybody in the Old Testament, when you look at anybody in the, in the New Testament that dealt with betrayal the, the right way, the one thing that they had in common was this. They made their emotions the slave 
of their decisions. So here's your prayer. Here's your, your take-home point, okay? Like if you have not written anything else down, you're not taking notes, like write this one down. Put it on somewhere where you'll see it every day. God wants you to say, you know what, Lord, help me to make my emotions the slave of my decisions. Now, what would have happened, let me unpack this a little bit. What would have happened if in that moment, when Jesus, like right before the cross, when Jesus is literally sweating blood, which is what the Bible says was happening, all right? It's a physiological possibility. Now science, you know, science is just, you know, catching up to the Bible. But now science, I've talked to doctors who've said, yeah, you can actually sweat blood. And there's a whole science behind that. When you're on, under so much stress, okay, like Jesus, in that point where he said like the, the weight of the world was on his shoulder so much that he was sweating blood. What if he would have gone with his emotions? What if he would have surrendered to the way he was feeling? What if he wouldn't have said, God, not my will, but your will. Not my decision, but your decision. And the whole plan would have gone down the drain, right? The outcome would have been very, very different. And so the challenge, the challenge for you is to put your decisions in the corner office. Here's a, here's a challenge that, that I'm giving you today. The challenge is for you to make your decisions the CEO. All right? Like, make your emotions the employee. Low level, by the way. Pull your decisions in charge. What we do most often is the opposite. We allow our emotions, we allow our decisions to be influenced or to be dictated by how we feel, by, like, our emotions. So here's my challenge. When you don't feel like taking the next step in life, take it anyway. When you don't feel like loving that person that hurt you, love them anyway. Love them. When, when you have fear in your heart, let the fear become fuel so that you can become more and more like Christ. When, when, when you're in the midst of the suffering and the, your integrity is being tested, stand where God wants you to stand. You hear me? But don't, don't let the emotions be what leads you in life. Give your decisions a corner office. Put them in charge. It may not be easy. I'm not saying that any of this is easy. But I, what I can promise you, it's always going to be better. It's always going to be better. And some people, you know, they'll throw something at me and they'll say, well, what about the disciples? You know, they all ended up dead. Yeah, but can you imagine how sweet it must have been when they were in heaven and they were getting a special crown for being a murderer for Christ? And can you imagine the joy and the thought of, of kneeling before your Savior and saying, God, I give it all, literally, I give you my life. I give my very own life for you. Can you imagine? I don't think we can. I think our minds are too small. And so we think, oh, you know, but what about the disciples? You know, they ended up dead. No, 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 you haven't. You, you're telling the story halfway. The disciples are with Christ in this very moment. They're in the presence of our Savior. Yeah, thank you. And so you have Jesus, you have David, you have Joseph in those difficult moments when they were betrayed by their own, the people who were closest to them. The, in Jesus' case, it was, it was his disciple that he had loved with a perfect kind of love. With David, it was his son who till the very end he showed mercy and kindness. With Joseph, he was his own blood, his own brothers. In every single one of those moments, 
Each one of those men, and I can give you many, many more illustrations, they dealt with betrayal by making a decision. They made a decision. So if God is calling you to do something, make a choice and plant yourself like you're an oak tree in the middle of a storm and follow through with that decision. And don't be driven by your emotions. Don't be driven by... Be driven by your decisions. Now, you've probably heard the quote, sort of a cliche. I may have even said it. I'm sure I have said it. Faith and fear can't live in the same heart at the same time. If I've said it, forgive me, okay? Faith and fear cannot live in the same heart, in the same room, at the same time. It's a nice cliche, but it's not true. Here's, here's how I know. I, I, every decision that I've made that has been, that I've had to mean, like I've had to have faith to make this decision. Like this wasn't an easy, every like decision that I've made and then I've been like, Lord, help me. Like, like, like every difficult decision that's taken like, like everything in me, okay, to make as far as faith. I always, every single one of them, I always had fear at the same time. I always had a little bit of anxiety. I always questioned myself and I didn't know what the outcome was going to look like. And, and I'm going by faith and I'm like trusting you, God. And, and here it is. And I'm putting that, my, my, like I'm taking this step. But every single time I had both. I had faith and I had fear simultaneously. And so, so fear and faith can't live in the same heart. Eh, not so sure. I'll tell you this. God called me into the ministry when I was 16 years old. I wanted to help people. And that's to this day. I'm 43 to this day. That is the heartbeat. Like that is my passion. I want to help people with the gospel. But I was scared to death of preaching, of public speaking. Like I am telling you, like like literally, you could have shot me and I would have rather gone with that than, than have to get up in front of a group of people and speak to them. I was like, I was terrified of having to get up and speak. And God has used my faith and my decision to push through the pain and the fear of getting up in front of people and the, how uncomfortable it feels. Like my vision gets blurry when I get up in front of people. Did you know that? Like my hands shake. I sweat profusely. I go to the bathroom like 20 times Sunday mornings. I don't enjoy public speaking at all. And yet God will take the faith and he will take the sacrifice and he will see, he sees that, that you've made a decision in faith and you push through that fear and God will use it for his good. He'll take something that's uncomfortable and he'll use it for his good. And I can tell you over the last 20 years, I've been able to help hundreds of people and that's not on me, but I've been able to help people with the gospel because I've been obedient to what he's called me to do. And I follow through on a decision. So faith and fear for me, man, they're roommates in my heart. <laughs> they're like this. And so what you need to do is you need to, faith and fear, they live in the same heart. You just need to choose who's the boss. So no, no to self, no to self. Lord, help me make my emotions the slave of my, what? Help me out. Decisions. I'm going to make my emotions the slave of my decisions. So here's what you got to know. You got to tell your emotions. Hey, boys, 
hey, ladies, you know, like we, like you better come along because we're going in this direction. That's what you got to do. You got to choose to follow God, choose to act in faith. My decisions are in charge. My decisions are the master. Emotions, they're going to be the slave. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Our worship team is going to come up and join us. And, you know, when you reach to a point in the message where, where we sort of try to wrap everything up, it's a great time to be, to think of yourself and not think about the person next to you or, man, that would have been a great message for so-and-so. But I have a question for you today. If you're following us online, I have a question for you. How many of you would say, and you can be honest, if this is not you, that's fine. But how many of you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me because my emotions get the best of me? Yeah, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see the hand. Oh my goodness, I, my hand is up. Pastor, would you pray for me? Because my emotions, and I recognize in a room like this and a place with all the people that are following us online, not everybody needs to raise their hand. But how many of you would say, Pastor, pray for me, pray for me? Because often I find myself in that place. At work, sometimes just my emotions, they get the best of me. With my kids, the way I'm leading them and the way I'm trying to, my emotions get in the way. Sometimes my relationship with my spouse, man, like, I know better, but my emotions get the best of me. In my relationship with the Lord, my emotions lead me and they betray me. Betrayal, right? We're talking about that today. So maybe you've been betrayed and you feel like, man, even this message is just painful to hear. Because my emotions are running the show. I want you to know you're not alone. You hear me? You're not alone. You're not the only one. But God is way more interested in your character than your comfort. And He will take the suffering. He'll take the the mental junk that goes on in your mind and the bitterness and the difficulty. And He'll He's powerful enough to bring good out of a bad situation. And so you can rejoice when you run into problems and trials and difficulties because they're helping you be more like Jesus. And that is a good thing. I know it doesn't sound counterintuitive. It doesn't sound like something our, our, our culture would say. But I promise you, you'll be better because of it. If you're dealing with the pain of rejection and betrayal, why don't you pray right now? This is your chance to pray, Lord. Would you please help me make my emotions a slave of my decisions? God, help me to be more like you, Lord. Yeah, you were the son of, Christ, of, of God. You, you were perfect in, nat- in, in, in nature. But you are my example to follow. It's not like it's so far out there that I can't do it. And not only did you give us your example, but we have others like David and Joseph. So God, would you help me choose? You pray that? Lord, help me choose. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.